brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Facepalm America. I'm Beowulf Rockland. FacepalmAmerica.com is where you can go for more information on the show. The American workplace is is a funny kind of institution. It is a, a place where we get together and interact in a, a lot of ways, and and we don't think we don't always like think of it as as a as a locus of problematic and and, and racist things, but but it can be even if we personally. Disclaim racism and and are not personally racist. The very structure of the way we interact with one another in the workplace can perpetuate racism and and be extremely uh, problematic in, in a way that that defies uh, efforts, many of them so far, to move past that. And so I, I wanted to speak today with Adia Harvey Wingfield. She's a professor of sociology at Washington University in St. Louis and the 2018 president of Sociologists for Women in Society, and she is the author of Gray Areas, How the Way We Work Perpetuates Racism and What We Can Do to Fix It. Adia, welcome to Facepalm America. Thank you so much for being here today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. So structural racism is is something that throughout the history of, of the United States throughout the, the history of the world has perpetuated racism in a way that, that transcends the, the individual. And in the modern workplace, even though you, you might not have folks who are, who are you know, biased and, 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 and racist, the, the structure sort of imposes this on us in, in many ways. How, how does it do that? How, how when we get together, does, does just the very setup of, of, of an office or, or the structure of a company 
create that 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 racism even if it might not be something that is intended at least by us as individuals sure so this is what i really try to spend a lot of time highlighting in the the book the idea behind gray areas are that they are parts of work that are distinct from the core functions of a job itself but they are also parts of work that have the potential to perpetuate and maintain ongoing racial inequalities so by way of example my job is that i'm a college professor i'm required to do research to teach to do service sometimes way more service than i think i should be doing right but those yeah. are the, the core parts of my my job but those are not all that is encompassed in my job. My job also involves uh, forming connections with people who might potentially be references and people who could refer me to potential jobs that might open up. My job also involves navigating organizational culture and understanding what that is in a particular workplace and being aware of how to navigate it so that I'm successful at work. And then my job also offers opportunities for advancements, depending on what types of connections and relationships that I have to the process for moving up. So when I talk about gray areas, I'm talking about those things the social, the cultural, the relational parts of our job, which are not quite explicitly regulated, but are still parts of work and are a little bit more ambiguous in ways that allow racial inequality to thrive. So, for example, if you have to, in order to advance, which most people do to a degree, engage in office politics, and the office politics has has a racist tinge to it, which which limits you in terms of of advancing up the ladder then even though that aspect of it might not specifically be addressed it's still there and it still functions to to hold you back Right, exactly. When we think about advancement in particular, a lot of the ways that we advance today have to do with the recommendation from a mentor or sponsor or being right. mentor or sponsored in the first place. But we also know that Black workers report more distance from their mentors and sponsors than other workers. We also know that they are less likely to have those close relationships. They are less likely to be the people who are recipients of that specific type of attention. And so what that means is that when the way we work involves putting that much onus on a, spencer, on a sponsor or mentor, who we know statistically is less likely to have a closer relationship with Black workers, those workers become disadvantaged by that process. Not necessarily because that manager is intentionally trying to exclude them or hold them back, but it's simply the processes of how we work and how we advance that create that outcome. Certainly. And and if the the mentors are people who are who are not people of color predominantly, it's it's going to be more problematic in terms of of, of creating these these relationships, there's an enormous amount of, of effort, especially in larger companies and larger organizations, put into you know, diversity, equity, uh, equality, and, and inclusion programs. And it, it seems like those aren't necessarily making the kind of progress that, that we would hope. How do those function and, and what are they missing that, that you are getting at here in gray spaces? Yeah, so that's a great question. And it may be counterintuitive or surprising to some of your listeners, given how ubiquitous a diversity trainings are, but the data here are pretty conclusive. And what they show is that mandated diversity trainings simply do not work. They do not improve the numbers of Black workers in leadership. In fact, they often can do the opposite and depress those numbers. And data has shown that there are a couple of ways that happens. For white workers, when they are mandated to attend diversity trainings, they may become resentful. They feel as if they are being forced to do something. And maybe more importantly, they feel as if, rightly or wrongly, they are being blamed and they are being suggested that they're doing something wrong and that there's potential litigation at the end of that road. 
But perhaps paradoxically for Black workers, I found that they also are often not a huge fan of diversity initiatives or, excuse me, mandated diversity trainings. And often that's because they see those as an exercise in regulatory compliance and less of a good faith effort from the organization to address the very real issues and challenges that they face in the workplaces, the types of things that I try to identify in gray areas. Those things often aren't addressed by mandatory diversity training. Yeah, that brings up an interesting question for me. How often is is an effort like that something that's built internally and how often is it is it just outsourced to somebody else yeah that's a key part of the problem in many cases this work is outsourced to people who are not employees of the company consultants get hired they come in for a period of time they do the training they collect their cash and they move on and that also helps for workers to feel a bit of distance from the process because it's not people who are embedded in and invested in the company it's not people who are invested in the company's success it's someone that they barely know or may not know at all coming in for a couple of sessions to do this work and then going on their way without that deep connection to the company that can make a difference so how do companies or organizations like go about building successful organic in, in, internal systems for for diversity and inclusion what what have you seen that works yeah so this is exciting because there actually is research that does document what companies can do for one thing replacing mandated diversity training with diversity task forces is a critical step that has been shown to document cultural change and the change in the number of workers of color and black workers in leadership roles and this is because when man, when leaders pull together people from different levels of the company and task them with identifying and solving a problem that feels different than feeling as if you're being blamed for the problem or as if company is not really interested in finding solutions or addressing what the problems are in the first place. So task forces that pull from a number of different uh, levels of the organization can matter a lot. Mentoring programs that are open to everyone can make a big difference because they address some of what I was talking about before, those gaps in terms of who has access to supervisors and managers. When there are mentoring programs that just happen uh, organically, people are more likely to pair off with those who look like themselves. And when we have disproportionately white workers in leadership, that means that they, that they disproportionately are pairing off with other white workers. But when we have manage- mentoring programs that are open to everyone, that anyone can sign up for and be guaranteed a mentor match, we know that Black workers are more likely to sign up for these programs, and they are more likely to benefit from these relationships with other managers who might otherwise not even cross their radar and not know about them. And managers are incentivized to want to support them because people are uh, creatures who want to see themselves look good. It looks good for the mentor to see the mentee succeeding. And I document some of that in the book when I talk about uh, the experience of Darren, who's a worker in a corporate setting, who really benefited from some of these mentoring programs and that he identified as a critical factor in his own success in the workplace. Well, that's fantastic. It's it's good to to know that there there are systems that, that seem to be working. I'm wondering how prevalent that is, because it it, it seems to take more than just a minimal amount of effort to to get it to work. And the the default is kind of just to 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 outsource it. And and if you if you really want to get at the problem, as opposed to just say that you've dealt with the problem, it it, it takes a, a lot more Focus, not even necessarily resources per se, but focus and attention. 
That's true. Uh, but a good thing about these types of programs is that they bring in multiple people at multiple levels of the organization. And that's critical because it offsets what we were discussing a moment ago in terms of a consultant coming in and spending a day or two at a company, collecting a check, and then moving on. When it becomes everybody's collective responsibility to identify and solve these problems, that actually takes a lot of the burden off of Black workers who we know have done a disproportionate amount of often unpaid and unacknowledged labor to try to address these racial issues themselves. And it becomes more evenly spread. It becomes something that everybody can take stock in and take ownership of, and something that everybody can be part of in terms of creating solutions. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing. The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It, it, it seems really weird to me, and and unfortunate to have to focus so much on, on on the sensitivities frankly of of white people because because it's it's enormously frustrating given what what the history and and the context is to to all of this and, and we're focusing on workplaces specifically but given the the enormous history <laughs> and I and I look at the news and see this in so many other places where 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 White people are just like really worked up that they feel like they're being blamed for stuff, and so they they go out and and, and screw with things like kids' libraries in schools and and and, and create a lot of problems, and, and and yet it seems like like what you're you're saying does deal with like white sev- sensitivities, frankly, to a certain extent, and that being key to it how i mean i i i guess what i'm asking is is how do you you deal with that sort of reaction and and acknowledge it without kind of completely catering to it because it seems like completely catering to it would be would be the wrong thing to do i mean and redirecting and and educating in a deep way would seem to be the solution but 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 how do you how do you walk that line it seems like a very difficult thing to do 
Yeah, that's a great question. I think that goes back to this question of organizational culture and ways to shift culture so that companies are not operating in the ways that they have been. One of the things that I talk about in the book is how common it is for many companies to put forth and to endorse what we might call a colorblind organizational culture, where the idea is that it's taboo to talk about issues related to race. It's gauche. It's impolite. It's just not something that's done because the better option is just to focus on getting the work done and everybody staying away from topics that could be taboo or divisive. But I also learned from my research that for many Black workers, that colorblind orientation is really very counterproductive because what it does is it creates an organizational culture and a norm where when they experience or try to point out racial challenges that they experience, there's no language and no framework for which other colleagues in the organization can understand what's happening to them and how they are experiencing those spaces. So to me, I think it becomes critical to think about this organizational shift and moving away from a colorblind culture, because that does shift the focus and attention away from centering white workers' feelings and their uncertainties and their doubts and every other aspect of how they may emotionally be responding to these issues. And it makes us more attuned to how there's room for, or should be room for everybody and for all workers to have their experiences become a core part of how the organization's culture operates. Have you seen a a workplace ever become a, a genuine place of like education and and understanding beyond just like getting along during during work hours? Have you ever seen moments where where this truly did create a a, a greater understanding in addition to just a better basic interaction between people? Right. Well, in the conclusion of the book, I talk about three separate cases of real life organizations that have addressed the things that I talk about with varying degrees of success. So I talk about Google, Coca-Cola and GV, which is a venture capital firm. And each of these has has dealt with and grappled in different ways with these questions of gray areas when it comes to hiring, when it comes to organizational culture and when it comes to advancement. And I think there are some instructive and useful lessons there for the successes and failures that those different companies have had as they've tried to grapple with and address these these gray areas directly or indirectly as the case may be and do you think you know any of those three have or any others that you've seen have have they do they serve as that kind of model where people have like really come away and and significantly learned something Well, so in some cases, yes, we do see some improvements in some cases when it comes to hiring, when it comes to leadership, but I don't want to give the impression or suggestion that it's kind of a a quick fix or a finite process, right? Because this is ongoing work. Companies have to take this work seriously. They have to remain committed to it and they have to be prepared to respond when there are setbacks or issues. But I will say that the reason I include those three companies is that I think they are really helpful for looking at some of the different struggles and opportunities companies have faced as a result of this work. And that, you know, what you just say raises another question for me. How do you do this kind of work in the long run in an ongoing way, as opposed to, you know, the sort of thing that you referred to that doesn't seem to work very well, which is just having a, a a one-time you know seminar and then and then moving on how do you how do you refresh this how do you perpetuate it how do you continue it and develop it in in a way that that comes back to people and 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 lets them you know check in and 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 hopefully grow 
Yeah. Well, this is a very social scientist answer, but I do think that it's really critical to look to the data. And I think it's really yeah. important to look at the research that does document what works and how we can do things that put into place long-term significant changes. I mentioned some examples of diversity task forces, mentoring programs. There are ways that organizations can change their recruitment strategies that have been shown to result in improvements to diversity at the entry level for, for companies. Companies can also be mindful of collecting data, setting goals, and measuring progress towards those goals. I think there's kind of a truism in corporate spaces that companies track and measure and have metrics for everything that they really care about. And so if you care about these issues of diversity, you've got to have data. You've got to measure what your numbers look like. You've got to set goals. You've got to have a plan in place for how you intend to achieve those goals. But I think that doing those things collectively helps to make sure that there's a long-term focus on addressing this over time and not a flash in the pan quick fix because these issues aren't ones that will be fixed in a couple of hours by a summer. Right, right. It, and the, when you mention like collecting data on everything, but, you know, it, it, diversity and how this progresses, it, it circles me back to a question that I, I had meant to, to ask earlier, which is, it seems like the marketplace or the market or the, the in, which it, it's, it's so, it's such an interesting thing to define because it's often so nebulous and, and it really is a, often, I think, a stand-in for what I want to do in terms of a manager or an owner or an employer. And I think that is is used so frequently as an excuse to put systems in place or put targets in, in place which which hold people of, of color back. And and when it's and yet it's because it's such a it's such a moving target it's difficult to argue against. How can you argue? Well, this is this is what the market wants, and 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 maybe I guess maybe data is 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 key to that. I mean, how do you get around the excuse that well the market doesn't really want this, and so we can't do this thing that's going to actually help you know improve the situation with regard to discrimination and racism. Yeah, that's a great question too. And in the book, I include some chapters from a respondent who talked about exactly that. So I, in the book, he's referred to as Brian. He's a film producer. And he talks about being in Hollywood, which has this reputation for being this very progressive, very liberal space. But he describes it as being very guided and driven by this market-based culture where whenever there was an effort to produce and develop a film with Black stars, about Black audiences, with Black directors, then the go-to was always, well, these films don't sell, they're not going to make money, there's no point in investing in them because they're just not going to get us the returns we want, so let's not bother. And one of the things that he noted with a lot of frustration uh, was that, one, that logic was very selectively applied. And he pointed to a number of examples of white directors who directed films that did not make money, that still got multiple examples, multiple opportunities to continue making film after film after film. But the other thing that's instructive about that is that to your point, data indicates that that is not actually accurate. And there are reports that show that for films that have a diverse cast and crew, the people who are actually making the film and the uh, directorship and the cast of the film, those films actually overperform and they are more likely to see higher returns than is expected. But the logic actually really holds back these companies when they rely on it because it inhibits them from going in this direction of being able to invest in films that are going to not only yield greater returns, but often kind of widen the landscape of what the industry is is creating yeah it's a it's a story that gets 
told again and again within this that particular industry and a lot of different industries but if you look at you know where the stories come from and who's telling the stories it has a lot more to do with what their particular interests and are and where their advantages lie than it does to do with anything regarding actual facts and actual pieces of data that that come from that and as you say the, the the box office returns really tell the story in that regard. So, yeah, no, it's it, it's fascinating because there's so much, and, and I think that's just like one example of, of how we, the world as we perceive it or the world that we have created from the stories that we tell ourselves is one way, and the world as it exists in terms of hard fact and the way that it impacts people, especially people of color, is, is very much another, and we, we always have to really be, be cognizant of, of that. Adia Harvey Wingfield, again, the book is Gray Areas, How the Way We Work Perpetuates Racism and What We Can Do to Fix It. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I've really enjoyed speaking with you, and best of luck with your book. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Up next, we're going to talk about some corporate BS. I'm Beowulf Rockland. This is Facepalm America. Facepalm America, I'm Beowulf Rockland, and in the next few days, we're going to be speaking with Nick Hanauer. He's a pretty well-to-do guy. He's a billionaire and investor who has been very outspoken on some progressive issues. And the author Joan Walsh, who has been on MSNBC, who has written for many years for The Nation. And the two of them are going to talk about their book. The name of the book? Corporate Bullshit. Exposing the lies and half-truths that protect profit, power, and wealth in America. And that will be interesting to me, especially talking to (laughs) Nick Hanauer and asking him, how come he isn't trying to protect his profit, power, and wealth? Because he has a lot of it. Um, it'll be in- interesting to see, and it'll be uh, kind of fascinating to see where their approach comes from. I got this book, and I, I love the, the the cover and the and the title. There's an awful lot of nonsense that gets spewed by major corporations, and it's good to hear folks talking about it who have been in the high-powered corporate circle of things. If we can internalize in that system a different way, a more equitable way of going about things that actually lets people live, there may be hope. And so uh, stay tuned coming up soon for our conversation again with Nick Hanauer and Joan Walsh as they talk about corporate bullshit. I'm Beowulf Rockland, and this is Face Palm America. I want to thank the producers of this program, Ace Elson and Rosabelle Hine. Please share a link to this podcast on your social media. It helps expose more people to the show, and it helps us grow what we do. And until next time... Enjoy the day.